Don't call it a comeback. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, whatever, Grab girl. my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios, this is the Press Box bitch-ass white boy, Tyler Bischoff. It was reported that the Cleveland Indians have decided to remove the term Indian from their name. And Adam Candy. Yet we're cool calling the only black people in Utah the Jazz. On ESPN Las Vegas. Ed Grady is out today. He's somewhere in Colorado, I assume, lost in uh, a mountain or, I don't know, a bunch of snow. Is it snowing in Colorado? So Adam Candy's in today, and we're going to start with the Golden Knights. The first bite. Should Ryan Reeves have been suspended more than two games? So Ryan Reeves got a match penalty uh, in game one against the Colorado Avalanche for his uh, scuffle, his uh, assault (laughs) on Ryan Graves. And the NHL has come out and suspended him for two games. So, uh, Adam? Two games. You feel like that's sufficient for what Ryan Reeves did? No. Ryan Reeves should have been suspended for the remainder of the playoffs. Um, There's such a tendency, Tyler, for us to look at hockey and be like, yeah, tough guy stuff. Fights. Drop the gloves. And that's what Ryan Reeves is there for, ostensibly, right? We've heard this a hundred times from the Golden Knights. Well, it's it's an intimidation factor. He plays a heavy game. He hits hard. Right. All that stuff is true. Hockey is a tough guy's game, but this was fake tough guy BS. Uh, There's a difference between dropping the gloves or even taking a run at a guy during play than there is after a play coming up behind him and essentially doing something that would have gotten you arrested anywhere else in the world. Uh, A chunk of hair was pulled out, (laughs) according to player safety. Um, he had his knee, did Ryan Reeves, driving down into the head of Graves on the ice for a while. Um, that's dangerous. That is just straight up dangerous. And the message that the NHL sent is that if you decide that you want to ambush someone and rip their hair out and try to compress their head into the ice with your knee... That's worth two games in a seven-game series, and that's ridiculous. I was I was stunned that it was two games, especially after watching the NHL's own video announcing the suspension. Because one of the things the NHL does that's that's great is their Department of Player Safety will put out a video and break down whatever hit, whatever play that leads to a guy getting suspended, and they'll go through it and, and list off everything of why you know any anything that led them to their decision. They'll list why and. In this video, the things that they point out, he cross-checked Philip Grubauer in the head after the whistle. He pulled Ryan Graves down by Ryan Graves' head or neck. He then knelt on Ryan Graves' face and neck. He ripped off Ryan Graves' helmet and apparently a chunk of hair. He acknowledged, Ryan Reeves and the Golden Knights, according to this video, that this was retaliatory, that the only reason he did this was because they were trying to get back at Ryan Graves for the hit on Matthias Janmark and... Ryan Reeves has been suspended twice and fined two other times in his career. The last suspension was last playoffs, less than 12 months ago. I was stunned when they went through all those points 
that it was only two games because I'm looking at that thinking, like you, that's very close to, hey, this guy's done for the rest of the playoffs because there's about six things in there that are worth two games worth of suspensions. And beyond the act itself, you just talked about the repeat offender stuff. So look at the other side of this series. Look at Nazem Kadri for the Colorado Avalanche. Because he was pegged as a repeat offender, then a play that he made in the first series, including a hit to the head, he ended up suspended for eight games, in part because he was tagged as a repeat offender. Well, what Kadri did doesn't even come close to comparing to what Ryan Reeves did, or should I say everything he did as it was laid out in the video. Look, there's a difference between I'm the hockey enforcer and I am going to go out there with the intent to seriously injure someone. And there's also a major difference in the play that they wanted to get retaliation for, right? These plays happen at full speed. And Jared Bednar, the coach of the Avalanche, even talked about how he didn't mind the hit by Max Pacioretty that ended up causing an injury as well. He didn't mind it. He's like, that's one of those things that happens at full speed, right? There's a way to do this. And the way that Ryan Reeves chose to do it was classless. It was fake tough guy stuff. And I'm sure that's what he doesn't want to hear. And she's like, oh, yeah, you never say it to my face. I will say it to your face if we ever have locker rooms open again. That is fake BS. If you want to go out there and try to send a message for your team, here's how you send a message. Score a goal. <laughs> no, no. Lose 7 You're to down one. 7 to 1. Lose Score seven to a one. goal. Way better. Um, the most annoying part of this to me is the last few days, Golden Knights fans that have tried to basically say Ryan Graves had it coming or that what Ryan Reeves did was equal to what Ryan Graves' hit on Matthias Janmark was. And it's it's one of the most moronic things I've heard. And it doesn't help that Pete DeBoer and Mark Stone kind of repeated that same talking point. Ryan Graves hit Matthias Janmark during play. Like, th th there was action happening. It wasn't after a whistle. It was interference. It was a late hit. There's no doubt about it. And it was penalized as such. But it wasn't so much a dirty hit that the Golden Knights needed to spend the rest of the game trying to get back at that. And I don't even think it was like Mark Stone called it a blindside hit. I'm not even sure it was a blindside hit because he got hit square in the chest. I don't think it can be a blindside hit. If you get hit square in the chest, that's where you should be looking. But Graves ultimately got punished for that with a penalty that I think is exactly what it should have been. And for some reason, the Golden Knights felt like they had to get back at Ryan Graves the rest of that game instead of, like you said, you know, trying to score a goal and actually win the game. And for Ryan Reeves to, after the whistle, do that list of things where you cross-check the goalie in the head, pull Ryan Graves down by his face, kneel on his face, rip off his helmet, and a chunk of hair. Like, that is nowhere close to equal what Ryan Graves did. And the idea that it was uh, fair punishment or that he had it coming or that it was some sort of equality for what Ryan Graves did to Matthias Janmark is absurd and ridiculous. And like you mentioned, it's we're sort of trying to brush over this under the guise of, well, that's hockey. Like, that's just how they police things within the players. That's not how they normally police things. Hell, that's not even how Ryan Reeves normally polices things, right? And that's what he's supposed to be here to do. But that's what Ryan Reeves did this time. And it's ridiculous that that's even been thrown around as a similarity, what Ryan Graves hit on Janmark was to what Ryan, uh, Ryan Reeves did to Ryan Graves. Without question, because last year, the hit on Tyler Mott, the hit to the head, dirty, penalized as such. He was suspended for it. And you know what? I can get past that. I can get over that because that's the sort of thing that happens 
through the game. It was penalized the right way. That's that. We move on. That's hockey. This fake ambush crap is not hockey. Bill Foley should be embarrassed. George McPhee, Kelly McCrimmon, and absolutely Pete DeBoer coming out and trying to defend this should be embarrassed. Now, DeBoer and Stone, look, they can't say any more than that because they know that Ryan Reeves is facing a suspension. And so they're not going to add any fuel to that fire as to potentially losing him for longer. But this is a blight on the entire Golden Knights organization. And the fact that they're probably going to bring Ryan Reeves back in game four and act like nothing ever happened is absolutely ridiculous. And the NHL took a pass on this. I cannot believe that the NHL only gave Ryan Reeves two games for what happened because that's not the way that hockey is played. So Golden Knights fans, if you're out there trying to say, oh, well, he had it coming, you're idiots, all of you. If you say that out loud, you are an idiot. And I hope that you get a chance to see what it's like to be on the other side of this if William Carlson were pulled down by his beautiful blonde locks no. and taken to the ice and someone stuck a knee on his head, you know what you'd say? You would say, arrest him. You wouldn't say he had it coming. Shut up and accept the fact that you have a goon on your team who is not even a real hockey goon. He's a fake tough guy. Now, aside from what Ryan Reeves did to Ryan Graves, even if that had never happened, the way the Golden Knights finished that game was still pretty pathetic because they played the Avalanche in that third period the way the San Jose Sharks have played the Golden Knights the last couple of years where the Sharks know they're not as good as the Golden Knights. They know it, but they think they can get under the Golden Knights' skin. They think they can take cheap shots. They think they can hit the other team and not actually try to score goals. And that's what the Golden Knights were doing to the Avalanche in the third period. And the idea that... This was all retaliation for Ryan Graves. I don't think it was. Like, I, this was not just because, oh, Ryan Graves had a hit on Matthias Janmark that knocked him out. This was the Golden Knights were getting stomped. They were getting destroyed in that game. And the only thing they could do to retaliate, the only thing they could do to try to make their mark on the game had nothing to do with scoring. It was, um, well, we're going to have to lay as many hits as possible. We're going to have to get in as many after the whistle skirmishes as possible. Like, that's pathetic from this team, what's supposed to be a Stanley Cup contending team, to not only get beat down that badly, but then that's the way you respond. Tyler, who was the coach of the San Jose Sharks uh -oh. when that happened? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Pete DeBoer. They still do it he, now, though. It was Pete DeBoer. <laughs> it happened quite differently then. Uh, this, look, this, this Sharks team this year, yeah, they tried to do some of that stuff, but it even felt pathetic coming from the Sharks this year because <laughs> the Sharks were so hopelessly overmatched against the Golden Knights this year that, you know, the Golden Knights could just kind of brush them off and say, yeah, 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 try that, try that again when you guys are good. Uh, no, it was embarrassing to see that out of the Golden Knights. Um, anyone within the organization should have been concerned beyond the Ryan Reeves stuff about that performance. Um, Robin Leonard, you and I sat here for most of the offseason and talked about how he was ready to be the number one goaltender for Vegas. And Robin Leonard was abysmal. That was the single worst goaltending performance the Golden Knights have thrown out there all year long. The first goal was one of the worst goals you will ever see in the playoffs. I cannot believe that that went into the net, and it, but it's beyond that, right? It is to what you said. It is the fact that they were outclassed in terms of speed. They looked like a team that was playing catch up the entire night. Their defensemen in particular looked like they did not belong on the same sheet of ice as the Colorado Avalanche defensemen. There was nothing about that performance in, in game one that says that these two teams finished with the same amount of points 
in the regular season. Now, for the Golden Knights, good thing it's one game in a seven-game series because they can come back on Wednesday and suck out a 3-2 win and get out of that building with home ice advantage and all will be forgiven. Well, they're going to win the next two games and then bring Ryan Reese back for game four and lose that one. <sighs> you know, the <laughs> fact that Ryan Reeves is coming back for game four just from a hockey perspective is embarrassing enough. I, I, you're right when you said earlier, they're going to bring him back for game four like it's nothing. And it's, it's, that's the other fascinating part about Ryan Reeves is he doesn't actually help you win. Like he's he's one of the the biggest negatives, and he might be the only. I think Dom Lucision of the Athletic has like a breakdown where he's got a like basically a war wins above replacement number for every player. And I think Ryan Reeves is the only player in the entire series that's a negative. I don't think the Avalanche have a single one. I don't think anybody else for the Golden Knights has a negative. It's a goals uh, above average is what it is. I think he's the only negative in the entire series, and the Golden Knights can't wait to get him back for Game Four. No, and if you go back to the Minnesota series. The number one line for Minnesota was running rings around that fourth line for the Golden Knights. Now, I'll give credit where, where credit is due, and, and I think the NBC broadcast pointed this out as well. The fourth line for the Golden Knights, probably first three or four shifts, actually did a pretty good job <laughs> their, of tilting the ice. Their first shift of the game was the only good shift for the Golden Knights all game. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, no, but really, the first three shifts or so, they did keep the puck down in the, in the offensive zone, which really, in the end, what is the job of that line the way it's constructed? Just keep the puck in the offensive zone. We know none of you have the actual skill level to go out there and score a goal by yourself. Just make the other team work hard. And you know what? That's fine. Like, if that's the way you want to construct the team and think that you want to have McKinnon, Landeskog, and Rantanen have to work hard in their own zone and, that, and therefore not be trying to score on you, then yeah, that, that's, you know, that's great. But, you know, they don't even do that well on a regular basis. All right, coming up next, we will get into the NBA. And you thought last week was bad with fans. Well, it hasn't gotten much better. Fans got to grow up at some point. I know that being in the house for a year and a half with the pandemic, got a lot of people on edge, got a lot of people uh, stressed out. Um, but when you come to these games, you got to realize, man, these, these men are human. You know, we're not animals. We're not in a circus. You coming to the game is not all about you as a fan. So have some respect for the game. Have some respect for these human beings. And have some respect for yourself. Your mother wouldn't be uh, proud of you throwing water bottles at, at basketball players or spitting on players or tossing popcorn. So... Go up and, and enjoy the game. You know, it's bigger than it's bigger than you. So in the NBA playoffs, we have had popcorn dumped on Russell Westbrook. Knicks fans spit on Trey Young. Uh, jazz fans made racist comments towards John ja Morant's family. And then over the weekend, a fan was arrested in Boston for throwing a water bottle at Kyrie Irving. And another fan ran onto the court last night during the Sixers and Wizards game, like while the game was happening, and was tackled by security. Uh, what the hell is going on in the NBA playoffs? I'm not sure that we should even do a segment here. I think Kevin Durant pretty much said it perfectly, right? I, I have no idea what's happening right now. I have no idea why anyone would ever think that what is going on here is a good idea. I, I don't get it, Tyler. I, I don't. I'm trying to think of a time when I have gone to a game and thought to myself that I needed to either make myself part of the action or express how upset I was by throwing something. Period. Like I go to relax. I go to a game to 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 enjoy. It's entertainment. I'm going to have a good time. 
Like I, nothing about this is a good time. Who is it a good time for? I, I don't get it. I, I, I really don't understand it all. I remember um, what early, earlier in the season uh, when LeBron James and the fan in Atlanta had cussed him out and then went on Instagram to talk about how LeBron James was terrible and all that. And that was just like trash talk between whoever was in the front row and LeBron James. And that felt a little bit of like normalcy in sports where fans are yelling at players or something like that. Or or at least, you know, Madison Square Garden telling Trey Young that he's bald. But for some reason, we have had like six of these incidents. And it's just so bizarre to me that it's it's only happened in the NBA. Like we're not seeing this in, in hockey. We're not seeing this in Major League Baseball. Like it's only happening in the NBA. And I just, I, I don't comprehend what's happening. I don't comprehend why okay, now fans are allowed back. Now fans are allowed to watch NBA playoff games and nobody knows what to do. Like nobody knows how to behave themselves at these sporting events. It's it's bizarre to me. Like it, it makes me question, like, is this what we were doing two years ago? And I'm like, I'm pretty sure we weren't. I'm pretty sure this wasn't happening. Like in every series over the course of seven days, I'm pretty sure it wasn't, but it's making me question if it was two years ago. Like, I'm not sure people realize how close we were last night to a much more serious incident with the guy who ran on the court in Washington. Because the fact that he got, let's just say, inside the lines, like he basically made it as close to the players as you can imagine. And the diving tackle of one security guard was the difference between this guy getting onto the court and potentially being right there to do who knows what to a player or more likely you know get his ass kicked by that player <laughs> um but you know the fact that it was even that close is scary it's absolutely frightening like the, kevin durant is right when he says look we're human right and he's also kind of sending a warning like look i'm human and anywhere in the world where you come charging at me you are some drunk dude in the stands and i am a professional athlete we pretty well know how this is going to end all right, so the actual basketball. Yesterday, the Wizards avoided getting swept by the Sixers, partially thanks to Joel Embiid getting hurt in that game, but also because the Wizards were intentionally fouling Ben Simmons at the end of that game, which, all right, Adam, you, you need to help me decide here because I don't know if I hate or love intentional fouling because the part of it that sucks is that it's you're watching a guy shoot free throws and you're not actually playing basketball. You're just fouling a guy. But the part I love is that you're exploiting somebody's weakness, and that's, you know, something that's very enjoyable to me. And I there's something about a guy who's terrible at free throws shooting free throws in big moments and missing them that I find enjoyable. So I don't know if I should be in favor of this or want to outlaw it from the sport of basketball for the end of time. The fact that you're even debating this is shocking to me because I would think you would be so pro hacker whoever. <laughs> Like, you are the ultimate, it's within the rules, so yeah. use the strategy yeah. guy. Like, I mean, that, okay, like, if it was, if I was, like, a coach or a GM or even just a fan of a team, I would want them to do it. I would want to do it because it's giving you an advantage that's within the rules that's kind of cheating the system, but I'm not a fan of either the Sixers or the Wizards, and I... I don't particularly want to watch Ben Simmons shoot free throws for the last two minutes of the rest of the playoff games the Sixers play this year. Think about it this way. I, I really wish this rule were revamped to give the team being fouled an option to just take the ball out because this isn't what we want to see, right? And and 
when it comes to the game itself, think about it this way. We go through an entire game of basketball. Let's just say, you know, an NBA game, 48 minutes. We go through, for the most part, 47 minutes of the same game of basketball, right? We, we either are playing in the half court, playing transition. We're going up and down. You foul somebody, you go to the free throw line, whatever. Then in the last minute, we change the whole thing into what amounts to soccer PKs. Like, we're just doing a free throw shooting contest, right? I don't like it in any game. I don't like even the, even the concept of we're down six, seven, eight points, and so we're going to start fouling you and reduce the game down to this one skill. Reduce the game down to something that, frankly, it doesn't fit with the rest of the game, right? Like, the idea of the free throw, if you really want to get philosophical about this, really just doesn't fit with the rest of the game. It is the one time when 10 guys are standing still and one guy is shooting the ball in a format that he is taught to shoot the ball differently than he shoots the ball at any other time. You never shoot the ball standing flat-footed in one place without jumping off the ground. And so it doesn't make any sense in the first place. So then when you extrapolate that out to, yeah, Ben Simmons can't shoot, and so let's keep fouling Ben Simmons and putting him at the line, it's not even as fun as Hack-A-Shack. Right. It's not even as fun as watching someone go up there and try to beat the crap out of Shaquille O'Neal and then watch this, you know, giant man mountain go up there and line drive the ball off the rim. Yeah. Well, so the idea, the whole, the funny part of it is the whole idea of a free throw is that that is like the most efficient thing you can get in the sport aside from an uncontested layup. Like you, teams, you want free throws. Like that is absolutely something you want as a team, except when it's Ben Simmons, like, and, and that's, what's kind of funny about it. Now, your idea of free throws, not making much sense in the game. I agree with, I don't have much of a problem with them as a penalty for fouling because don't foul. The other team gets something valuable, but the end of games, like we need the Elam ending. Like I look forward to the day that college basketball and the NBA have both adopted the Elam ending. Cause I think it's going to happen. The product is better when you have the Elam ending. So that's what I'm looking forward to because it eliminates the idea that I need to foul to save the clock in the final minute because I'm down by a few points. I think the Elam ending makes sense by putting that target score up there, giving one team an advantage in getting there. And, you know, and, and as long as it doesn't turn into that, you know, we are we are fouling within the context for some advantage there. But obviously the, the advantage is significantly reduced. So uh, I, I don't want to watch it. I don't want to watch hack Ben Simmons. I but again, for as long as it's there, if I if my team were in that situation, if it's if it's hack a capella later tonight, then I'll be fine <laughs> with that. All right, coming up next, Peter Ball will join us from the Athletic to get more into the Golden Knights and Avalanche. Do you want to schedule a parent-teacher conference after hearing Grainy's grades? Call the press box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and let us know who deserves a higher grade. Um, <clears throat> it's not hard to defend Ryan Reeves. For me, Ryan Reeves, you know, is is one of the cleanest, tough guys uh, that that I've seen in the league in my 12, 13 years. You know, he he uh, he uh, he's consistently a, a, a clean, physical player. Um, you know, as far as the incident, I don't know. I mean, that that's in player safety. I, I do know a couple things. You know, his gloves never came off, um, you know, and, uh, um, you know, nobody was hurt on the play, so. Joining us now from The Athletic is Peter Ball. He covers the Colorado Avalanche. You can follow him on Twitter at Peter underscore Ball. Peter, how are you this morning? 
I am well. How are you all? We're good. Um, so I'm curious, just the in general, the perspective in Colorado of what Ryan Reeves did to Ryan Graves. Well, people are, are not thrilled, I believe. <laughs> I think that is, <laughs> is safe to say. I mean, it was a it was a play that I mean, if you look at the league's description was fairly it was pretty egregious. I mean it the league described it as he punched Graves, threw him to the ground and applied pressure to his head while he on the ice, um, while also ripping out a chunk of his hair, um, which all of those things are, that's not like me kind of saying what I saw. That's just how the league just straight up described it. Um, and yeah, I think people were thought it maybe should have deserved more than a two game suspension. Um, Jared Bednar is a pretty mild mannered coach that he didn't like the play, but he didn't necessarily think Reeves was trying to, to hurt Graves. Um, Landis Goggs, captain of the Avalanche, did say he thought Graves was or Reeves was going out there trying to hurt people. So I, I don't think it was received kindly in the Colorado dressing room and uh, certainly not among fans. When we look at this incident, um, how do we how do we take it in terms of how the Golden Knights and Colorado match up? Because we were talking earlier and saying this is the kind of mess that a team that believes it's inferior to another team gets itself into to try to muck the game up and see if they can get themselves into something that is less than a contest of skill. The Colorado Avalanche and the and the Golden Knights, like they finished with the same amount of points in the regular season this year, and then in Game One, they looked like two teams that did not belong on the same sheet of ice. Yeah, and it was you kind of did see a point in the game where the the Knights were down by a few goals, and it started. Carrier had a few roughing penalties where, like he he was just kind of holding Kale McCarr to the ice at one point, and he went to the box twice. And I don't know if that was was just kind of more because they. It almost felt like they realized they couldn't play with them on uh, Sunday night. I don't know if that'll continue. I mean, I think it is important to remember that the Knights were coming off a, a really grueling seven-game series. They didn't have Marc-Andre Fleury in that, and I think now they're going to have two days of rest. Fleury will have had, I guess, four full days of rest, uh, four or five, and, and they'll be a little more ready to go for Game 2. But it certainly did not look like two teams at the same level in Game 1. And it seemed like the the Knights realized that and just kind of started to get it, like you said, mocking it up, and it led to some some plays that were a little questionable. Uh, do you get the sense that the Avalanche fans view the Golden Knights as their equal in terms of how good they are as a team, or do the Avalanche fans view the Golden Knights as that team is worse than us, we should beat them? It depends. I mean, I think that there's always a tendency to overreact to playoff performance i think going into this series i mean the golden knights did have the same amount of points as avalanche they were i mean i think colorado had one more point in head-to-head matchups so it was a really evenly matched um season series and the two teams finished both with a lot of points i think i mean fans are always going to be a little more well some fans will be a little more favorable to their teams while other fans will be a little more skeptical of their teams and a little more cynical. So I think that most Avs fans probably believe the Avs are better, but I don't know if there was like some resounding sense of like, oh, this series is going to be a cakewalk or anything like that. I think there might be some overreaction to game one where now fans are like, oh, this is, is kind of in the bag, which I think is maybe a dangerous mind. I mean, fans can think that if players start thinking that, which I don't think the Avalanche will, then that's like 
becomes a bit of a dangerous mindset because I think you see in the playoffs, you'll see a blowout, but then you'll see the next game it it flips and the other team wins. So we'll see we'll see kind of where it goes from here. But I, I think that Avalanche fans certainly think that they have the better team, but I don't know how much fans saying that means. Colorado has been the uh, prohibitive favorite in the Vegas sports books to win the Stanley Cup since the beginning of the playoffs. I would think the situation, uh, you know, with the number three and four seeds getting through in the north and kind of clearing that path out uh, makes it even more so. Do you feel like, as you've been watching this team all year long, that you've been watching the best team in the NHL? There were certainly points during the regular season where it really looked like this was an unstoppable force of the team. I think there's a point where they scored points in like 20 of 21 games um and then there have been other points where they've been kind of closer to just like a good team but not like a far and away the best team um what is good for the avalanche is that they're kind of playing at one of their they seem to be peaking at the right time and they certainly have as talented a roster as any team in the league um aside from maybe tampa but i think at this point they're probably pretty even talent wise um yeah, I think this is a team that the whole year I kind of saw as a, a cup favorite, and I think that the team hasn't shied away from that being its expectations. And, um, yeah, they've looked really good at points. Like I said, there were other times where they were banged up and weren't playing as well. But when they've gotten going, it's, it's pretty impressive to watch, especially when that top line is, is playing as well as, as it has in the playoffs. And it, the top line hasn't played as well all season as it is playing right now, which is saying something because there were some points where it was dynamite in the regular season too. Is there anything that happened during the regular season? I know the Golden Knights had the best record of any team in the in the West Division, but is there anything that slowed down Kale McCarr, slowed down that first line? Like what gave the best players on this team the most trouble throughout the season? There, <laughs> there wasn't much. <laughs> I mean, uh, like Kale McCarr was the only defenseman in the NHL to average more than a point per game. He's going to be a Norris Trophy finalist. Uh, might even win it. Probably not, but there's a chance. Um, and then McKinnon, Rantanen, and Landeskog all were around. I mean, I think McKinnon and Rantanen were above point per game guys, and then Landeskog was, was somewhere near a point per game. So it was not a thing that teams had uh, success with. I think you saw teams try and play physical. There was a game actually the last regular season game between Vegas and Colorado, the Knights really did kind of go at that top line physically and, and were able to contain them, even though the Avalanche won that hockey game. But the thing was there that uh, it seemed, it really seemed like McKinnon wasn't a hundred percent at that point. He didn't play four of the last five regular season games, which the Avalanche ended up winning all of those games anyway. But I, I think that, with McKinnon at 100%, it certainly is a tougher it's a tougher team to, um, I guess, contain, especially when you let McKinnon get into open space because, as you saw last the other night, like it's it's pretty insane when he has some open ice. Yeah, I mean, we think it's crazy, and Alex Petrangelo showed you in the Tahoe game that he's pretty <laughs> scared of it too. So, yeah, not terribly surprising. Um, yeah, when you see the the Ryan Reeves situation, Peter, and you look at what happened with the two game suspension, are you more surprised that that was a two game suspension, or more surprised that Nazem Kadri got eight? So I've kind of been. Here's my take on the whole thing. I think I I don't like seeing head injuries, shots to the head in the game of hockey. And I think I looked at the Nazem Kadri suspension and I said that is a 
fair suspension in the context of just what a hit like that deserves. But then you look at other things that have gone on around the league, whether it's Tom Wilson in the regular season or this Ryan Reeves situation, and it does feel a little imbalanced, even with Kadri's past history. Um, I thought I was a little surprised it wasn't more than two games, but when they didn't give it an in-person hearing, you knew it wasn't going to be a lengthy suspension. But I think when you look at, at what he did, and I mean, pressing another player's head to the ice is, is not a good thing to do. I mean, and it's, I'm not saying anything about Ryan Reese as a person, but just as like a, a play in a hockey game that doesn't feel like it has any, any space in the game of hockey. And, and nor does that hit Kadri made on Justin Falk. So I'm not like, I'm not saying one is, I guess, better or worse than the others, but it does feel strange that one had such a, a more severe penalty, um, even if Kadri had a little bit more of a history with the league. Um, but Reese has had some, some history with the league too. So it was a, it's a weird weird situation it's really hard to get into the department of player safety's head and it does feel like there have been inconsistencies throughout this season especially when you look at the the tom wilson incident um against the rangers at the end of the season where he didn't get it he got a fine for for what he did to um panarin is the outcry bigger is there more complaining about reeves only getting two games if he was actually good like if he was tom wilson or nazem kadri and not just a fourth line guy that plays nine to ten minutes a night um i don't know yeah i i think the ad stands were even if reeves isn't isn't the most skilled player or anything i think ad stands were still pretty angry that they're they're gonna see him again this series and i mean i i think pete DeBoer's comments probably rubbed some of them the wrong way. Um, and, and, but yeah, I think that maybe it would be a little, there would be a little more outcry at the lack of a severe suspension if it was one of the night's best players. But I think that people were, were pretty mad as it was um, just based on the actions of Reeves and the, the relatively light suspension. So if Ryan Reeves comes back for game four, do you think that the Avalanche will get involved in any sort of tit for tat when trying to, you know, go after Ryan Reeves, or are they just at that point, <laughs> based on Game One, might they just be worried about closing out the series? Yeah, I think it'll. It might depend on where the series is. It might depend on how Ryan Reeves, I guess, approaches things. The the thing that Avalanche have to be careful with is like you can fight to make a statement, but it's not really worth it to have one of your top-line guys um, get in a, a fight with Ryan Reeves because then you're down a, a top-level player for uh, for a five-minute fighting penalty, and and you don't really want that when Reeves is not one of the night's top players, and it doesn't really hurt them if he's in the box for, for an extra long period of time. So I think that, like, I, I think that if, if someone fights, it would – probably not be one of the avalanche's main players um but and there it also has to be someone who's around ryan reeves's size and is like fair in in that regard so we'll we'll see i uh i i don't i'm sure there will be some chippiness some some maybe hits after the whistle but i don't know if there's going to be any like giant throwdown, especially if the avalanche have a chance to to close out the series which i mean i think vegas will get back in the series a little bit at least like i don't think game. I don't think that we're going to be looking at a potential sweep in game four, but I don't know. Like you said, game one was a pretty um, 
dominant showing from the Avalanche, and if Vegas plays the way it did in Game 1, then we might be looking at a a four-game series. Well, he is Peter Ball from The Athletic covering the Avalanche. Again, follow him on Twitter at Peter underscore Ball. Peter, we appreciate it this morning. Hey, thank you so much, and um, yeah, looking forward to getting out to Vegas in a few days. Games 3 and 4 will be back here. Um, Yeah, Adam, I got, I mean, the the Golden Knights are going to win at least two in the series, aren't they? I, I'll tell you the God's honest truth. I actually bet the Golden Knights to win the series because I like the price on them. And even after game one, there were some books in Las Vegas that adjusted the Golden Knights from like basically five and a half or six to one up to nine to one to win the Stanley Cup. And I went and bet that too because I do think that there's still a chance they come back and win this series. That being said, you have to wonder where their headspace is after game one because... That was uncharacteristic and certainly seemed to be a team that, as you were saying, was telling itself it was inferior to the Avalanche. Just so everyone's aware, last week Adam told us that he bet the Minnesota Wild to win the series against the Golden Knights because they had a good price as well. And not that I disagree with anything you said. I just want people to know where you bet last round as well. Well, sure, because I thought it was a coin flip, and if it's if the uh, price on the series is 2-1 to one and it goes to Game 7, it was pretty much a coin flip. Not arguing with your logic, just pointing out history. All right, coming up next, I make Adam defend referees. I didn't even see it. I was in the back, but when I was walking out, I didn't know what happened. You know, as fans, my advice is just watch the game, enjoy it. Obviously, COVID, nobody's kind of been at games or been at arenas, but we got to make sure we be mindful of this is – this is our job. You know, this is not a, a game or something. You can just kind of just do whatever you want to do and run around. We always need to take advantage of Adam Candy being our resident referee. So when Adam's here, try to get as many referee stories in as possible. There's a tweet from NBA Ref Stats that said on Saturday... Josh Tiven became the second official in the last six years to call at least 10 fouls on one team while not calling a single foul against the other. Tiven called 10 fouls against the Grizzlies on Saturday, but did not call a single foul against the Jazz in that game. Uh, So, Adam, what would be your explanation as to why a referee might call 10 against one team and zero against the other? So would you want a referee knowing which team he was calling the foul on at the moment that he was calling the foul? I guess technically no. Right. You don't want him knowing that. And so that's why it's happened two times in six years that you've had this sort of imbalance because it's an anomaly. It's a complete outlier. And can it happen? Yeah, it's rare, though. It's rare because you end up moving around to different positions on the court all game long, right? Sometimes you're on the baseline. Sometimes you're out in your half court. Sometimes you're on the opposite side of the play. And the you do that on purpose. Like we move around on purpose to try to make sure things like this don't happen, right? To make, to make sure we're having equal looks throughout the game and to make sure that everything gets called. So should that happen? No, that absolutely shouldn't happen. But there's a reason it's happened twice in six years because it's entirely possible that all the plays you get all game long just happen to be the ones that you know come down and happen to be against one team. I thoroughly enjoy that there's a Twitter account called NBA Ref Stats. I was completely unaware that anybody tracked which referees called fouls against which teams and like tracked it over the course of the season. I also was unaware that 
Kane Fitzgerald has called eight technical fouls in these playoffs alone. The next highest ref so far has three. Like, I love the fact that we have referee stats now. Uh, you clearly are not a gambler because no. <laughs> this is the sort of information that gamblers are looking for to say, oh, the Warriors have had this much trouble when Scott Foster has their games. Awesome. Yeah. So what are we supposed to do? Chris Paul brought it up um, like every question in his press conference after what was it? Game three that Scott Foster officiated their game and Chris Paul's team have apparently lost 11 straight times that Scott Foster has been the official. Um, I, I'm so, I don't know. Should I be surprised? Chris Paul knows that. No, are you kidding? I, who, I don't who know. whines to the referees yeah. more often than Chris Paul? He comes from that Clippers team that was one of the most impossible teams in a decade to watch because <laughs> they had Chris Paul and Doc Rivers and Blake Griffin complaining on every call. It was merciless. But does he merciless. like? Does he like have a spreadsheet of every ref and his record with them? No, he has some PR intern who fed it to him at some point after the game to give him something to you know feel like he can talk about. Like, come on. Come on. Look, these stats are they're obviously true. Like uh, no one's making it up. But if you are a player who thinks that an official like that one official shows up and says, yep, thank God I got the Clippers tonight. Oh, I got the Suns tonight. I'm going to stick it to him. No, no. Trust me. Those NBA referees are making a minimum of two hundred thousand dollars a year. A guy like Scott Foster is making closer to a half million dollars a year. He's not going to screw up his career over worrying about which team he's calling fouls on. Can I tell you why I'm mad at the Knicks? There's a reason you're mad at the Knicks? I thought it was just because of me. No, no, no. The Knicks the Knicks have robbed us um, by being completely incompetent. Like, they've sucked so much in the playoffs that we have not seen a close game in Atlanta. Like, uh, last week, it was all like Trey Young in the garden, Trey Young against the Knicks, and he hits, you know, we haven't gotten like a close play, a last-second play out of Trey Young since then because the Knicks have been so bad. We don't, the fourth quarters are irrelevant. So I'm mad at the Knicks for not giving us more Trey Young because, honestly, the rest of the playoffs have sucked too. Like, we're not getting close games out of any of these series, but I thought we were at least going to get out of Hawks and Knicks. Okay, fair, fair. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry that my team sucking has taken away the fun of another player pointing out that my team sucks. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, sorry. Sorry that has not uh, materialized for your enjoyment. Let me just say from my end that my team sucking has actually been really difficult to watch. So maybe that will make you feel a little bit better. Nah, Knicks are frauds. The Knicks had a lot of variance things go their way <laughs> all season long. What happened to Julius Randle, though? Uh, goodness gracious. Uh, Lakers fans are watching this and going, there's the guy I remember. <laughs> From Can you take away the most improved trophy if you're this bad in the playoffs? He won't win most improved for the playoffs, sir. But you can this take it away, right? Award. Like he gets it for you, the regular season, then you take it away. Oh, you're who, you, you're who we thought you were. 